As you know, I have just concluded a nine-part exposition of the epistle of Jude last Lord's Day. The series was entitled, The Church in the Age of Apostasy. Jude's Holy Spirit's motivation for writing the epistle was to admonish believers to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints or to fight for the faith. Now to help us to do this, Jude describes in detail the characteristics of those who would distort the truth, the word of God, for their own benefit. And he spends much time in describing the characteristics because he wants the people of God to know how to detect false teachers. Now, in light of the days in which we live, I emphasize the need for us as believers to heed Jude's warning. And I did that again and again and again. You may also recall that prior to the beginning of the series, I presented what I called a teachable moment with regards to what I consider false teaching being presented from the pulpit by those who are invited at times to share from this pulpit. Remember we had an instance, I was in a round at the time where a group, just like you all, came to share. And the preacher got up and he presented a doctrine that we thought was contrary to the scripture, giving the impression that we are gods and therefore we can speak because of our authority anything into existence we want because we have the same authority as God. I thought that was false teaching. so. I took that moment with the people of God as a pastor to try to provide correction for that. And I call it a teachable moment because I believe that's why God allowed it to happen. Now, uh, one of the passages that motivated me to do that was this passage here. This is Paul's admonition to the Ephesian pastors just before or on his way to Jerusalem when he thought that he would not see them again. And this is what he said after giving them all kinds of instructions as to how a pastor is to do his ministry. He says, be on God for yourselves and for all the flock. Notice the emphasis, the command, be on God for yourselves first and then for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. That's the reason why we'll be so concerned about guarding the flock and watching out for it. Because God's people are the most important, precious thing on the face of this earth because it was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. I know, he says, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, Men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And I can understand why he included those last words with tears. Because sometime confronting 
people who have long professed to believers that the fact that the teaching error could be quite problematic, emotionally speaking, especially as people you know and you respected for years. For instance, at Dallas Theological Seminary, one of the professors that I had so much respect for, he was my evangelist, uh, evangelistic uh, teacher on evangelism, tremendous man, on fire for God. He moved out from Dallas and went to pastor church in California. And I followed his ministry. And then I got the news. He had to be let go from the church because he committed adultery with a member of the choir. It's a man that I loved and I respected. And I always said, now what happens if I come face to face with him? It happened recently when a good friend of mine is teaching what I believe to be error. Someone I love, someone I care for. And sometimes you have to do it with tears, but you have to do it. Paul is very clear. Pastors have a responsibility of guarding the flock from false teachings. And I believe that we are going to have to exercise that responsibility more and more in these days in which we live. And I believe this is one of the instances here and why I'm so solemn this morning in this particular message. Because believe it or not, another teachable moment has presented itself for us here at Calvary Bible Church. And so I want to do this because you might hear it from outside the body. You might even hear it, I don't know, maybe on TV or radio sometime as to what we did. And I want to explain to you, before you hear it from other people, what we did and why we did it. Last Friday, August the 31st, I received this email. And I'm going to show you the exact words from the email. Well, not exact, because a couple of times it was um, uh, a couple of spelling errors and stuff I sort of corrected, both on the part of the person who wrote me and myself and so on. Now, I want you to take a look at that. This was a, an invitation that we received via email on July the 31st. It said... Dear Pastor, my name is David L. Mayer. I am the eldest son of Reverend Joyce Mayer. Does that ring a bell? I will be in your area next week and would like to know if you would be interested in some free Joyce Mayer and other authors materials. Other authors. I took that to me just to explain people with whom she agrees in theology. These would be to distribute for free to your congregation. I promise there is no hidden agenda. We simply want to sow the seeds. My cell number is 314-616-6405 if you need to call me. Together, we are better. David, I'm not sure as an eye on L. Mayer, CEO of Hand of Hope, Joyce Mayer Ministries. I responded to that. In this fashion, dear Mr. Mayor, thank you for your offer. However, we must decline at this time. And notice I was very precise, very concise, because I didn't want to go any further. But then he responded to my response. Thanks so much, Pastor. If you do not mind, you are the second person 
that has declined our offer. I believe you might have been confused there, really. By that I mean, see, I was off on this day, and Pastor Aubrey received uh, the email as well. And so he called me as to respond, and I told him to respond in this way. So when David wrote me, or when I responded the second time, he may have thought that it was from a different church. I don't know. But anyway, it doesn't matter that much. If you do not mind, you are the second person that has declined our offer. Would you be candid with me and let me know why? Now notice the request. Would you be candid and let me know why? Is it our specific beliefs? The fact that she's a woman? No matter what you say, we have heard it. So I won't be offended. We are just doing some vacationing and simply wanted to bless the people in the area. In fact, they might be here now, I'm not quite sure. In fact, I wonder if David is here, I don't know. <laughs> nothing more, nothing less. Anyway, if you are willing, it would help me to understand. No hard feelings, I promise. All the best to you. Beautiful letter. I responded, same day. Appreciate your spirit of humility. Praise the Lord. Sister Joyce, a truly gifted lady, poses a problem. Now you'll notice that some words that I have packed with other meanings I put in quotes. Sister Joyce, a truly gifted lady, poses a problem for us due to her mixed doctrinal teachings. Much very biblical, but much also, in our opinion, very non-biblical and perhaps even a or a-biblical, in other words, completely contrary to the Bible. But much also an opinion very non-biblical or perhaps even a-biblical. The danger to us is the mixed message that is communicated as a result. As shepherds of God's flock under our care, we believe we have a mandate to protect his people from such teachings. I am sure you must be familiar with such charges already. So I see no profit in my trying to enumerate them on this occasion. I have prayed and continue to pray that God will do whatever is necessary to call all of us who teach his word, myself included, to proclaim the whole truth and nothing but the truth at all times. I write these words only because you've asked me to do so without fear of creating a fellowship barrier between us as believers in Christ, even though it pains me to do so. Please accept them in the spirit of love and humility in which they are given. Your mother appears to be a wonderful woman who truly loves her Lord and has a gift as a teacher I envy, in a good sense, I hope. In Christ, Pastor Alan Lee, Sila. I got a response. I really was hoping that was the end because I didn't want, I'll tell you why, why I didn't want to get into it. Dear Pastor, he meant dear Pastor, I first and foremost commend you for being willing to discuss all this in an adult, God-fearing way. If you do not mind, I would love to hear about the things you are not saying. You see, it has been our experience that we have at times been labeled or accused of beliefs we do not even have. For example, we get accused of regularity that we promote the prosperity teaching. 
However, I think my mother has done one series on the subject. So it seems we have just been lumped together with other TV preachers. We are EFCA approved, which means they say we do all things with, within good ministry guidelines, especially financial, this particular organization. So please go one more round with me. I sort of love that phrase because if you look at, the, uh, at this graphic we have with the boxing gloves, they sort of fit it in with this thing. So please go one more round with me and let me know what it is that disqualifies us from your world. We just want to learn and to grow. I love that spirit. None of this will ever leave our world. But maybe in the end we will be friends and not enemies. Now, I'm not their enemies. Or didn't mean to be anyway. Many blessings. My response. Late at night, 12 o'clock. David. While I appreciate your evident concern, this is extremely difficult for me. We're talking about your mother. I would never want to say anything that would in any way demean or belittle her in your eyes. If that's possible. And so I am trying to show him that I believe that he has high regard and respect for his mother. By the way, what I'm doing here, I'm trying to, this is the teachable moment. I believe that we should not only hold to a truth or preach it, but we should live it. And so what I'm trying to do is model the truth that I believe in before you, because I think it's important for pastors to do that. So as you go through this, I will be pausing to explain why I am doing certain things. And this is one here, I wanted no way to offend his mother in dressing him, even though I so strongly disagree with what she teaches, and you'll see why. And that's one reason I didn't want to get involved with him in the first place, but he kept pressing. And I believe I have to accept that as the way God was leading in the whole situation. So please be assured that the following is stated with regards to her teaching, not to her as a person. Now that's important when you're dealing with people, all right? Never attack the person. Deal with the issue, all right? Remember when you talk about tolerance, you can't, when it comes to people, we should always be loving, always be accepting. But when it comes to the views they're holding, if we don't believe, no tolerance allowed. You understand what I'm saying? It's important for us to distinguish the person from the issue. And that is why I'm trying to underline here. I respect her highly as a woman of God, but I am disturbed and saddened by some. So I want to understand I'm not everything. I'm not giving a broad brush and saying that she's, everything she says is error, because that's not true. She has some beautiful, wonderful teachings. She's helped and encouraged millions of women. There's no doubt about that. And we cannot overlook that fact. See, that's one of the dangers. <laughs> That's why it's so dangerous, because sometimes, and I'll explain that in a moment. I am disturbed and saddened by some, now notice, of her core teachings. Not periphery. Core. That's why I say here, the prosperity issue is the least of my concerns. Now that's a big concern. But when it comes to what she teaches, that's one of the least. Because it has nothing to impact really our salvation. All right? And saddened by some of her core teachings, the prosperity issue is, 
is the least of my concerns, although I believe it's, and I use a little word, misemphasize, again, to show an emphasis that I'm, pa I'm packaging something but not unwrapping it. Here are some major concerns with this. Here are some major concerns. And with this, I rest my case, as I am quite uncomfortable speaking to you about your mom, in spite of what I have said above. Now, this slide shows you exactly how the email was sent. In other words, you've seen number one, source of revelation and so on. That was sent first, and then following that was a teaching. But now in order, to, in order to explain it to you, I'm going to break it down in a different fashion. So let me explain my response in detail. First, the source of revelation. And this is important to me. It should be important to you as believers too. What is the source of your revelation? Where do you say you get your message from? All right? So that's the first thing I heard, my, the source of emotion. Here's what she says, and this is taken directly from her tapes. We have, the, we have it listed here. Witchcraft and Related Spirits, Part 1. You probably could find it in, your state, in, your, in, uh, in some of the bookstores here. This is what she says. Now, spirits don't have bodies, so we cannot see them, okay? That's all. She likes to say that. Okay. I listen to her. There probably is. I believe there is. And I certainly hope there are several angels up here this morning that are preaching with me. I believe that right before I speak, some anointed statement to you that one of these angels bends over and says in my ear what I am supposed to say to you. Where did she get her anointing teaching from? An angel who speaks in her ear as she's speaking to you. Now, you say, my much that's just simple. No, remember now, I've been the whole teachings. We talk about New Age teachings some years ago, still going, with channeling. Have you ever heard of that? Channeling. People are writing books who, because spirits are actually speaking through them, and they themselves say it's not them. You have to see it in that context. So just don't take it saying, well, that's just a figure of speech. No. As far as she's concerned, an angel is speaking to her when she gives her anointed teaching. That means that comes right from God. Now, I want you now to listen to her own words. She says here, she gets her message from angels. Doesn't she say that? Now, I want you to listen for yourself about her speaking about where she gets her message. And I want to give you a short click of that. Can we have that now, please? The Bible can't even find any way to explain this. Not really. That's why you've got to get it by revelation. There are no words to explain what I'm telling you. I've got to just trust God that he's putting it into your spirit like he put it into mine. Did you hear that? What, now, what she was talking about, Jesus going to hell and being beaten up by demons. That's the message here. And she's saying, even the Bible is unable to explain it. The only way she understands it is by direct revelation. And in fact, she can't even explain it. The only way you'll be able to understand it is by direct revelation. Now, I want you to understand what she's saying here. Number one, she's saying that she receives direct revelation from God that's not even found in the Bible. Now, hear it again. Alan, can you play that again? 
Because to me, this is The Bible can't even find any way to explain this. Not really. That's why you've got to get it by revelation. There are no words to explain what I'm telling you. I've got to just trust God that he's putting it into your spirit like he put it into mine. Did you get that? So for her source of revelation is not the Bible mainly, it's what she gets by the, especially the things that has to do with Jesus dying for us. And where, see here's the point, from their teaching, our redemption was not accomplished on the cross, it was accomplished in hell. I'm going to show you our own words in that a moment. And that's what we're referring here. Even the Bible can't express it. Divine revelation. Now, listen to one, just one, other item she got by divine revelation. Well, here comes Jesus into hell. Now, I don't know what hell looks like. But God gave me a few ideas. It's hot. Fire hot, but at the same time, it's cold and clammy. Now, did you hear that? That's kind of different, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, Fire hot, but cold and clammy. Now, she said she got it from God. Hell is cold and clammy. Have you ever read that in the renewed scripture? Well, you see, that's one of the truths you can't find in scripture. You can only get by direct revelation and so I told David that our position is that the Bible is God's completed revelation there's no more revelation that's why Jude commands us to do what to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints no more revelation and so I said to him the Bible is God's completed revelation the faith once and for all given to the saints an angel speaking into one's ear or knowledge by private revelation is open to other spirits speaking to us. And so I said, David, that's a core teaching, the source of a message. It isn't from the Bible only. It's from angels, other spirits that she listens to, and also from divine or direct revelation. But then I pointed out another core doctrine which is a concern, and that has to do with the nature of Jesus Christ. Here is an excerpt from one of her messages. Let me read this first, and then I want you to listen to it. She said, God rose up from his throne and said to demons' power, tormenting the sinless Son of God. See, this is in the context that Jesus is in hell. He's been there for three days. He's been beaten up by the demons, but now it's time for resurrection. That's the context. God rose up. In other words, she used it further down in the message was God got himself together. God rose up from his throne and said to demon powers tormenting the sinless son of God, let him go. Then the resurrection power of almighty God went through hell and filled Jesus. He was resurrected from the dead, the first born again man. Now, as you listen to this tape, I want you to be thinking, why does a person need to be born again? Because Jesus is the first one, according to Joyce Mayer's teaching. Please listen now to her own words. He could have helped himself up until the point where he said, I commend my spirit into your hands. 
At that point, he couldn't do nothing for himself anymore. He had become sin. He was no longer the Son of God. He was sin. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? He became sin, and he was no longer the Son of God. Play again, please. He could have helped himself up until the point where he said, I commend my spirit into your hands. At that point, he couldn't do nothing for himself anymore. He had become sin. He was no longer the Son of God. He was sin. Now, my response, I want you to listen to, I want you to understand. She says, Jesus had to be born again because he became a sinner. Second, he says, Jesus became a sinner and he actually ceased to be God in hell. That's where we were born. That's where he was born again. That's why when he was raised, he was the first born again sinner. And so I said to David, here is my concern. Only sinners need to be born again. Jesus went to paradise, not a place of torment. He paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. You see, she argues in a tape as you listen to it, that he paid the penalty for our sin in hell. Because that's where we were supposed to go, so that's the only place it could be paid. And he paid the penalty for our sin to the devil. This is an old heretical teaching about, when you talk about redemption and who do we have to pay? We pay the devil to get freed. This is, a, this is the teaching from the, old, from, the, from the early church coming back into force again. And so I said, we do not believe that Jesus became sinner. He became a sin atonement. He bore the penalty of sin. But if Jesus had become a sinner, the sacrifice would be no more good. And that's a serious one for me. When I look at and can think that Jesus Christ ceased to be God. I want you to think that through. But that was another one now. Because he most certainly did not cease being God. Now, that one there, I must say, did not include that part in the email. But then I gave a third one. And I'm going to be very brief on this one. This has to do with the nature of man. Because actually this teaching here sometimes is a little complex. It's a little, uh, a little confusing because you say one thing and then you say not something else which sort of nullifies it. But then I don't mean this, but I do mean it. And that's one of these types of the teachings. Uh, the teaching that we are little gods. Uh, and because we are little gods, we've been invested with the power and authority of God. That's the thing that that young man who came in that I first gave that teachable moment from. And because we are sons of God, we've been invested with the same authority that he has. They might even say, no, I'm not saying that. Joyce says this, uh, Mrs. May says this. I'm not saying that we are God with a capital G, but we are little G's. But yet we have the same power. We can speak things into being. Things that are not, we could cause to come about. So I want you, uh, we're not going to do all of it because it's almost five minutes. And I, I, uh, but, but play it, Alan, for me. I want you to listen carefully because I want to be fair to her as well and hear that she says she isn't saying that we are gods with a big G. 
And you know, I was listening to a set of tapes by one man and he explained it like this, and I think this kind of gets the point across. He said, you know, why do people have such a fit about God calling his creation, his creation, his man, not his whole creation, but his man, little gods? If he's God, what's he going to call them but the God kind? I mean, if you as a human being have a baby, you call it a human kind. If, if cattle has another cattle, they call it cattle kind. So, I mean, what's God supposed to call us? Doesn't the Bible say we're created in his image? Now, you understand, I'm not saying you are God with a capital G. That is not the issue here. So don't go trying to stone me or yell blasphemy at me. The Bible says right here, John 10, 34. Let's read this again. Well, let's just start again in verse 32. Jesus said to them, My Father has enabled me to do many good deeds. I've shown many acts of mercy in your presence. For which of these do you mean to stone me? And the Jews replied, We're not going to stone you for a good act, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, make yourself out to be God. And Jesus answered, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods, little g. So men are called gods by the law, men to whom God's message came, and the scripture cannot be set aside or canceled or broken or annulled. Now, if this is true, do you say of the one whom the Father consecrated and dedicated and set apart for himself and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. See, when he began to say, I'm the Son of God, then they began to yell blasphemy. Well, how many of you know that we are sons and daughters of Almighty God? He has birthed us. We are born again new creatures in Christ Jesus. We need to understand who we are and what it is we're supposed to be doing. And if we can get that revelation refreshed in us but stay in some realm of balance, then I believe that God can use us in this last hour for many mighty acts, and in the process we can give him all the glory. Oh, I tell you, I feel good about this. Any of you feel good about it? Okay, well, I'll cut a different now, please. She goes on, and um, but although she says she doesn't mean to say that we are God with a big G, she goes on to say we are little gods because we are his sons. And if we are his sons, then the same way they use other phrases like a dog and only have dog and, and so on. And so he's talking about generation. You see what I'm saying? And so my response to, and by the way, that's where they get this idea of authority. You hear that all the time, that we have the authority to do this, we have the authority to do that. That's this teaching. All right? Um... So I said to David, in our understanding the nature of man, that she confuses human generation with divine begottenness. In other words, you, and this is one of the problems I find. Many of the things, the doctrinal truth, they try to use physical, human, natural things to compare or to explain, and that's where they go off. This is so true with the dominion theory today and the kingdom, kingdom, kingdom today. They are using human situations and putting it into scripture rather than bringing it on the other way around. And they're confusing these things. And this is what happens in this teaching here as well. Jesus was unique. There's only one unique son of God. That's Jesus Christ. He was eternally begotten. In other words, there was never a time when Jesus Christ did not exist. He was as old as his father, if you could say that he has an age. That's what we call divine or eternal generation or begottenness is the word used. Human beings don't have that same kind of thing. There's no one else who was born the way Jesus Christ was born from a divine point of view because he wasn't born. 
He's born as a human being, and he became incarnate, but not the son of God. You understand what I'm saying? And that's what they're confusing here, you see. So I said here, the triune God is unique. So is Jesus Christ. Regenerated sinners can partake of his nature or attributes, but we cannot possess them in the fullest sense, lest we also become not little gods, but a part of God himself, which leads to Eastern mysticism. And that's what's coming here. See, they want to see us as little gods participating in the nature of God because somehow we become a part of this great God without being God, but yet having his attributes, which is contradictory. See, this is why this particular teaching is a little problematic when to nailing it down. I must confess that. But I'm still concerned that when it comes to teaching about the nature of Jesus Christ, I have no doubt that it's almost bordering on heresy. When it comes to the nature of man, I'm a little confused with that myself. When it comes to the nature of revelation, she's all over the place. I have a concern with that. And so I continued with um, David, the response to David. I said, let's continue to pray that God would lead us all to unity in the faith as soon as possible. I pray, I try to pray daily for your mom as I do for myself, that I will proclaim his word faithfully and accurately. Selah, Pastor Alan Lee. David responded. <laughs> no, I'm actually, I have a lot of respect for David. I really do. And I hope that the Lord makes it possible for us to talk again. I really do. I must admit, this is David, I am having a little difficult time understanding all this. Sorry. I still don't know what that means, to tell you the truth. I'm not sure what it is he's sorry for. All I know, and this is, this is the part I love, it also gives us, though, some understanding of people who put doctrinal issues secondary to behavior. Because he is very sincere here. Listen to him. All I know is our family gets up each and every day with the sole purpose of putting smiles on faces, helping the poor, and bringing the knowledge of him close to the people's heart. And they do a lot of good work in that area. All over the world, they're helping the poor and feeding. There's no doubt about that at all. We are doing this in the best way we know how. Someday we do a better job than others. My Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are grateful that in the midst of our weaknesses, he still uses us. That's good, isn't it? That is true. That's God's grace. Perfection is a goal we seek, but no, we will never attain. We will keep fighting the good fight and pray you do too. That was the conclusion of our encounter. I did not respond any further. But I want you to notice, see where he gets his final piece here is that they're doing good. The source of revelation, the nature of Jesus Christ, the nature of man. You know, once I'm doing good, maybe we could, we could handle these things. I have a little difficulty with that. You understand what I'm saying? So in the midst of this apparent and I mean, my parent is not genuine concern for the others I say. Doctrines still have to be true. 
what we preach still have to be correct. We could feed people and give them all kinds of stuff, but we could still lead them to hell. Full, satisfied, you see. So doctrine is important. Now, here are the biblical guidelines I tried to follow in dealing with David. First Peter 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 15. This is what Peter says. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. That comes first after this. That comes first. Setting apart Jesus Christ as Lord in our hearts. In other words, he and he alone is our Lord, our master. This comes first before all the other stuff. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you. Now notice, you're not going to be ready if you haven't made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. See the point? One of the reasons why we have so much problems is we have people who don't know who don't know the Bible and is not really submitted to Christ, who's trying to defend the faith. Well, to use David's town, the term, you know, you've got to watch over those rounds. You could probably get knocked out. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Notice now, yet with gentleness and reverence. And I try to observe that in my conversation with David. Now that's not me. I like to row. I'm serious. I say, boy, you fool. You're so crazy. Now I'm serious. But the word tells me to try to bring correction with gentleness and reverence. Jude chapter 3. I missed one. Let me go back up to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 23. I'll remember the first one. I'm sorry to confuse you. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations. Knowing that they produce quarrels. That's what I was trying to do. Before I answered. Because I had this in mind. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. But be kind to all. Able to teach, patient when wronged. Actually, that's what I liked about David too, because David was showing some of these qualities himself. You see, and he wanted to understand. Be patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps, perhaps, no real promise, God may grant them repentance. Repentance is a gift. He's doing with understanding here. He's talking about understanding. It comes as a gift from God. No matter how convincing my words may be, I cannot in any way change anybody's mind when it comes to spiritual issues. Only God can do that. And only if he desires to do it. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Now this is a jam-packed verse here. It means in some cases, God might not lead people to the knowledge of the truth. They might can cause them to continue in their blindness. Thessalonians talks about that. Those people who reject Jesus Christ. And God says they reserve a judgment. That is reject, continue to do it. They reserve a judgment. They will not believe the truth. They're going to believe a lie. 
God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. See, that's the enemy. David, his mayor, all these people, they're not the enemies. That's why when we continue on with these studies later on, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about Paul talking about these uh, uh, garrisons, forts, uh, places, what do they call them? Strongholds. Some people said that's the strongholds where all the devils live. Mm -mm -mm. He's talking about what people think, philosophy, belief. That's what we have to break down, and they are spiritual. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Another verse, the one that, of course, was the center of our uh, focus in the book of Jude, Jude 3. Behold, while I was making every effort to write you about your uh, common salvation, I felt a necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which is once for all handed down to the saints. Beloved, this obligation falls upon all of us to contend for the faith, but it is especially a responsibility of pastors of the flock, shepherds of the people of God. And so I've committed myself to be sure that I am faithful in this area because I believe we're living in a day. In fact, according to the message theme, we are in the midst of apostasy. The word of God is being mishandled. And many of God's people have been led astray because you don't think and you don't study the word of God. And so I ask us to pray. Pray for me first. Be sure that we are, in fact, interpreting the word of God. Pray for Mrs. Mayer. Pray for David. That if they are indeed erroneous, God will lead them to a knowledge of the truth. They have tremendous influence around the world. It'd be so great if they could get the source of revelation, the nature of Christ, and the nature of man correct. Amen? And all of God's people said, Amen. We encourage you to come out tonight. We're discussing some, boy, we're discussing some other things that are more practical for us. Uh, and we're going to have um, Mr. Brian Marie with us the, uh, the uh, proposed amendment to the Sexual Abuse Act where they want to make the raping of a spouse criminal, a criminal offense. And then also to talk about the communications bill, a part of it in which seems to give permission or seems to take away the freedom for pastors to say that homosexuality is a sin and so on. We're going to be talking about those things this evening. That's by one word of prayer. Just pray that God would use his word to speak to your heart today. In fact, I know he already has, because he says that his word will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent forth. So we thank him for that. But if you need to make a commitment based on the word of God, perhaps you have some of these teachings in your home that you know now that you should not have. And you need to make a commitment as to what you're going to do with the books and the tapes concerning false teachings, especially about the nature of Jesus Christ. You might have to make a decision. Ask God to give you wisdom to do it right. 
in a way that he is honored and glorified. Father, thank you for your word. Give us, we pray, the wisdom and the grace to contend earnestly for the faith once and for all, delivered to the saints. And all of God's people said, Selah, think and act on these things.